Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to Temporary Admission. This week, we're chatting with the Queen of Soho herself, India Rose James. Now, India, it's great to chat with you again, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me as well. No problem. Well, India, I think most people listening to this will probably know you as the heiress that inherited practically the whole of Soho from your grandfather, Paul Raymond, for which I think now, and obviously you can correct me if I'm wrong, but recently reported value north of the £1 billion mark, which is obviously pretty draw-dropping for for most people, and I think makes you the fifth richest on the young rich list. But obviously that's not really why we're here chatting today, is it? But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I'm India, obviously. I've got my daughter, who is five, almost six, and yeah, I I'm moving house. I'm now 30. God. But you know what? I was really kind of, I guess, nervous about turning 30, but it's actually turning out to be one of the kind of like best years of my life. Uh, you know, a lot of change is happening. 18 when I moved, moved to London and I went to art school and then I dabbled in many different kind of areas, you know, wanted to be in fashion, wanted to, you know, do all sorts. I started up a shop at one point and then like the gallery just kind of fit in perfectly and was opening a gallery always the plan or well no I always wanted to be an artist so I I studied at at school you know art textiles and photography did all the creative things and a bit of art history on the side and then went off and did my foundation at City and Guilds where after that's when me and some friends started up Soho Review we were like 23 we were quite young and it, it, we did, we, when we left our building, we then stopped it there. And then I relaunched it more recently. Art's always been something I've been really passionate about. It's always been around me and I've always, like, I've always been collecting. I've, I'm a painter myself and I kind of just, it's always been something that's really close to my heart. Mm, and this might be perhaps a little bit of a naive question given the circumstances, but why was it that you felt so drawn to opening a gallery space within Soho and staying within London? I think many would have assumed that you, you A, didn't need to open a gallery at all, and, and B, could have actually chosen to open a gallery anywhere else other than, you know, the place that you've grown up and spent so much time. Well, one free rent from my dad. And well, the Soho Review was named after the Raymond Review Bar. 
So that's where the review came from it. So yeah, the review idea is kind of like showing a broad different range of, you know, categories, I guess. So we wanted to do that, you know, so with the arts, you know, we've got photography, you've got sculpture, you've got painting, you've got video art, you've got performance art. So it all kind of meshes in the same category under the arts, I guess. And Soho is one of those places that's always kind of supported any kind of arts. So that was kind of where the initial Soho review came from. And, you know, then we were like, oh, we could go somewhere else in the world and be like the Paris Review and so on and so forth. So, you know. <laughs> so the plan is to go international then. It's quite exciting. Well, we'll see. And I know you mentioned, obviously, painting and, and then opening the gallery. But have you always collected art yourself? And, you know, what is it that you like to buy? Well, the problem that I have personally is that blue chip galleries don't sell to people that have association with galleries so I there are certain places that won't sell to me purely because I have a gallery no matter how much I tell them like I'm never going to sell it I'm going to love it so on and so forth but you know that's just something that I you know my love for art has kind of you know screwed me a little bit but you know I, I don't buy huge high value art really I don't see you know that artist is already doing super well like why do I need to support them by kind of emerging younger artists from usually younger and newer galleries as well. And that leads us on to the conversation around your gallery, Soho Review, which I think for me what struck me most when entering your gallery and having a look around is actually how different it is to every other kind of gallery in London or specifically, I guess, the ones in Mayfair, which can, you know, be quite stuffy or intimidating to go in and, you know, some people don't even want to speak to you, but yours was very welcoming and there was a very different atmosphere. It was quite fun, in fact, when you're going in there and everyone actually spoke to everyone, which is so different to the usual gallery experience. Is that something that was maybe intentional for you? It feels like it almost reflects your own personality in some way. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if it's not fun for me, then it's not, why would I assume it'd be fun for anyone else? I, you know, I want to be able to run around the room and talk to different interesting people and have a laugh and have fun with them instead of like trying to, you know, feel like I'm selling something to someone in a suit the whole time. You know, I think the art world is changing in this direction now where it's kind of a lot more relaxed and accessible, especially for younger people. And people just some people just want to feel included with the experience, you know, and when you pop into some of these gallery launches, you you know, like even I feel intimidated about the people that are there. It can be really uncomfortable, for especially younger artists who, you know, don't know about that world yet. Mm. And, and how have you found the process of actually setting up the gallery? Well, it's definitely been a learning curve for me. I, because I started it basically by myself. I was in like a little, a small little gallery space and I was managing it all by myself and, you know, doing everything. And it, I've, you know, have a lot of friends in the industry. They were telling me things that you should do it like this, do it like that, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of found that I started smaller and now I'm getting bigger. And it's been a really nice kind of like gradual rise that I've been like learning along along the way. You know, there's no like kind of like, this is how you should be a gallerist kind of like course or whatever. You know, there isn't really like a, this is how you should do it. So I think it's best to kind of learn as you're going along and just get the um, the experience as you're kind of doing it. It still does, like I say, they feel very different as a gallery experience to most galleries in London. Oh yeah, I definitely run my gallery definitely way different than most galleries. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very casual, I think. Very casual. It's all about like I'm just I'm just you know, nice to everyone and you know, it's not all galleries are like that. 
that's definitely true with uh, a certain few galleries in London. But I'm interested with the emerging artists that you do work with, how is it that you choose them to work with them or, you know, even discover them in the first place? Normally, I find my artists by going to like degree shows. Uh, Instagram is a huge, great tool for that because you can just lose yourself searching for art artists on there and also yeah just meeting people at private views you know you meet someone they're like oh I'm an artist I always ask like oh can you show me your work and then you know I like to follow them and save their photos and so on and I much prefer doing it organically like that one of my artists recently was like you always talk to me on Instagram and I don't <laughs> I don't know why but it, it feels kind of like we have a bit more of a friendship yeah we had a friend of mine Manon Stay Out come on the podcast not so long ago and she was talking about the importance of Instagram as a tool for her to really connect with her clients and actually, you know, build her reputation. Yeah, it's a huge tool for artists because it's like the CV. Most of the artists that I know don't really have a like a very intricate website. Most of it's on their Instagram because people in, enjoy that kind of fluidity on it when looking at art, I think. Some websites are annoying to figure out, so it's um, definitely better that way. And you can see all their connections through it. So go on then, which artists are you currently looking at that you think are going to be, you know, the big bets for the future or that you're really enjoying kind of their works at the moment? Oh, I'll be telling. There's, you know, most of the artists I work with, I have really strong belief that they're going to, you know, shoot up and be stars. Christy Chan, she's already on a lot of people's radars. Um, I think her work is amazing. She's currently in Berlin doing a residency. Uh, Ming Ying, of course, she's got her solo coming up. Yeah, those are kind of the ones that I'm kind of looking at at the moment. And can you remember then the first artwork that you ever bought? I was asked this recently in another interview, and I actually do not remember what the first ever piece of art was that I bought. I mean, I don't know. I started off buying off friends. You know, I was at art school, like buying little pieces from friends and being like supporting friends of mine that were showing. So I know how hard it is to kind of, you know, a career to start. And but it's been a gradual thing. Like I definitely didn't start like all balls blazing and, you know, going and buying everything that I can. Because I, I have found that over the years that when I do go into a slightly bigger gallery and I'm like, oh, like this painting by this artist is really beautiful. Like, can I inquire? They kind of do just like put their noses up and be like, no. You know, <laughs> and like they don't, they don't know my situation, and you know, and I, f- I find it a bit unfair. Um, but I've managed to get around that a little bit, and you know, there's certain pieces that I will never be able to acquire, obviously. But that's why, and I've kind of just always stayed in the emerging. And I've been extremely lucky with some of the artists that I have bought that have now that are doing amazing things and are really big and showing all over the world. So I'm very unlucky in that, but like, I mean, my collection's like, it's mine and it's like, I'm very precious over it and I would never want to ever get rid of anything. But I think that's interesting, you know, because actually you mentioned it slightly earlier, but many people would assume you're in a position where you could buy pretty much any artwork you wanted, but actually because you've got the gallery and, you know, you've got that uh, reputation, I guess, in the art world of, you know, having the gallery and being in the art world, you actually can't necessarily buy the artworks that you want to buy without going through, you know, other channels like the secondary market or, or auction. And, and that, I think, might be a bit of a surprise to some of our listeners. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's you no know, like, like I'm a huge fan of Peter Doik. Like, will I ever be able to get one from a gallery? No. But, you know, my options are auction or like dodgy secondary market. You know, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I don't really want to like, you know, like auction's great and everything. It's just the, the premium you pay on those things is a little off-putting for me. But realistically, like people who are already huge collectors or their parents were huge collectors are more likely to be able to acquire such works. I mean, who knows? Maybe after hearing this, someone might offer me something, who knows? <laughs> well, fingers crossed. I think it's just an interesting conversation because so many people buy artwork as an investment rather than necessarily loving it, which is, which is obviously fine, I guess, in some circumstances. But it does seem a shame that, you know, lots of artworks aren't being enjoyed, perhaps in the way that they were intended. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite against the whole like financial buying thing. Um, I try not to sell to people that I can, if I can tell that they're literally doing it as an investment. I want to sell it to people that love the work. Uh, and I only ever show stuff in the gallery that I love and that I would have in my house and like that I want to sell to people because I see the beauty in it and I think other people should have it in their collections. Like I've had people trying to sell to me be like, this is going to be a really good investment. I'm like, yeah, but I just don't really like it. I don't think I could live with that in my house and I don't want to spend that money on this because it could be a big investment when I could buy something that I really love from somewhere else. If you do buy something and it turns out to be an investment, that's just luck. You know, I... I just, I want people to love the works that they have in their collection and their house. I just, I don't, I really don't see the point in buying something that you don't like. And I think that is what separates me to quite a lot of people in the art world. I mean, I obviously am in a fairly unique position and a lot of people do like, you know, need to invest and sell things when they, you know, like I get that people do need to do that, but that's just not for me and my, my way. Yeah, which is obviously totally understandable. But for our listeners that maybe do want to start building their collections and, you know, discovering new artists, where can they find the artists that you know they might want to hang on their walls and keep for years that also might be a good investment? Oh, like graduate shows. Go to the graduate shows, like Slade, City and Guilds, um, Goldsmiths, and just have a look. And if there's something that you like, buy it. You're, you know, you're getting it for like, you know, could be like a couple hundred, like, you know, just under a grand, like a deep, like a pretty good sized painting. And like buy something that you like. And then, they're, you know, they're, in, they're at the beginning of their career. So it's only going to go up. And on that note of artists that are at the start of their careers and are hopefully on the rise, I think your next exhibition goes live the day this will also go live. So are you able to tell us a little bit more about the exhibition that you're about to open at the gallery? Um, yeah, I mean, we're still obviously working on that one, but most of the work has been produced. So it's two artists that I've married together, basically. Like, I like both of them independently and I've basically put them together and forced them to become friends <laughs> um, so it's Iona Hutley and Harriet Gillett and so they've both gone in a slightly different kind of direction with their work but it it still looks really good together and I've also made them do a collaborative piece together and it's been quite nice hearing them and seeing them chat on like the whatsapp group and they've like been meeting up and you know it's quite sweet to kind of put two artists together in that way and why was it that you thought they would make a good match they both used to do a lot of paintings involving leopards and they both use a lot of purple and I think just for me that was just like ringing around in my head a lot because their practices are both quite different but they it does look really good already what I've seen come through and from what you have seen are you able to tell us a little bit more about that and what we can expect well, I mean, they're all really large paintings. Um, Harriet's made two diptychs, which um, hers are kind of, they're kind of like pubby scenes. I mean, I don't, it's kind of, 
they're quite whimsical at the same time. It's, it's kind of hard to describe them without seeing them. Whereas Ionas are just like complete abstract, like there are lots of different kind of mediums all on the same board. I think they're on board. And am I right in thinking you've also got them to work together on one piece? I mean, I basically made them do a um, exquisite corpse. And just so everyone's on the same page here, what exactly is an exquisite corpse? So it's where so artists used to do it, you know, like Dali and everyone used to do it. So they'd get a piece of paper. The first person would draw the, the first, like, first quarter of it, then cover it up and send it to another artist. And then that artist would do the next bit and then so on. So they don't know what it looks like yet. And I don't know what it looks like yet. But it's, it's like a secret collaborative piece that they've done together. And so that's going to be quite interesting to see how that marries with it literally next to each other. I mean, I think it's a great idea, but I'm interested. Do you know how Iona and Harriet found it working together effectively on the same piece? Oh, no, I think it's quite fun. I think they found it quite fun. Like every time they um, received the package, they were like, ah, we've got it. Yay. You know, it's like it's a new thing because I don't think you see a lot of exquisite corpse happenings anymore. Yeah, I think we're going to do it a, a couple more times um, with some future exhibitions because it's worked actually quite well. Yeah, definitely. I feel like more galleries should be, you know, embracing that because it's actually, it's, it's just a cool idea that, you know, like you say, it's been around for a long time, but maybe has been forgotten about. I mean, I've seen it once before quite a long time ago. But I think I remember doing it as a kid, folding it over, the next person did the head or whatever, you know, the, the arms or whatever. Yeah, I remember doing those now. And, you know, even the ones with the words where you had to start a little bit of the sentence and someone else had to finish it. But do you know what it looks like? Have you seen anything of it yet? It could look horrendous. It won't, but, you know, it could. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed that it doesn't. I'm sure it won't. But, you know, I think, am I right in saying, Iona and Harriet's show is the last one within Soho Review. It goes live on the 1st of June, which is today, if you're listening to the podcast, on the day that it goes live. But... Then you've got big plans for the gallery, haven't you? Which I think some of our listeners might have seen in the Daily Mail, although I'm pretty sure they got the use of the venue wrong and thought it was your new home. But you're moving, which is very exciting. And could you tell us a little bit more about that? We're in October going to be moving to our new location, which is a really big project that we've taken on, which is, you know, it's going to be a cultural hub of Soho, which not only just a gallery anymore with artists and residencies and workshops, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but lots of fun kind of events and things. But yeah, so technically this is our last one that uh, that we as a team have put on. We're doing some collaboration ones just so we can get on with opening up the next venue. And what's the new venue actually like? Well, I mean, it's quite big and... I just think it will be boring to have it as just another townhouse, you know, three-story gallery, like in Mayfair. We want people coming in to be doing different things and, you know, just kind of keep it busy and create a destination instead of just a, you know, a pop-in. And where is it? Um, Greek Street. And you said you're opening that in October, which obviously is quite a busy period for the art world. We're opening the week before Freeze. We don't want to get involved with freeze mayhem, so we're going to do it before. I think that's probably very wise. But look, India, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. I think it's been really good to catch up. That's all right. Thanks for having me. No worries. And I'll be sure to pop along to the gallery on the 1st of June to see Iona and Harriet's 
work and real life, which I'm very much looking forward to. And make sure to tune in next week where we'll be chatting with Mayfair Art Weekend to find out what's in store this year. Of course, if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit like, subscribe or follow. We really do appreciate it. And until then, stay safe. Speak soon.